Hello, and welcome to episode 19 of the East Anglian Theatre Podcast. Welcome one and all, and though we're still in a period of national mourning, I'm delighted you could see your way through your veil of tears to hit the play button on this episode. The only grief to be found here is that which I cause my guests when I ask them a bunch of uninspired questions. And the only sense of loss you'll feel is at the end of the episode when you realise what a waste of time it's been listening to me. For those of you who haven't tuned in before, well, firstly, you've missed some great content over the last few months and admittedly an even bigger mass of turgid nonsense. But I'm delighted nonetheless that you could join me for this one. I am your host, Ray Tempester, and with each day that passes, what looks I ever may have possessed have largely been swallowed up, so now this podcast is about the only way I can get people to begrudgingly pay attention to me. Each episode, I try and provide a little bit of insight into what's going on at some of the theatres in the wonderful region that the majority of us call home. That's East Anglia, if you've not been paying attention. I split the podcasts into three rather uneven sections because the best things come in threes. The Three Musketeers, The Three Degrees, Free Willy. Section one is where I ask a question that no one wants to know the answer to and tell you a little bit about what I've been up to in the theatrical world lately. Section two is where I get a guest to do the work for me as I ask them about their latest production or their company. And section three, for the heroes that make it that far, is where I give a quick shout out to some of the upcoming shows and audition opportunities across Norfolk, Suffolk and Cambridgeshire. Sometimes this might even stretch to the exotic climes of counties such as Essex and Bedford. That's all coming up, of course, but first, let me tell you some stuff about my social media accounts and the website. I have them. OK, I guess I probably should tell you a bit more than just that. The social media accounts are easy enough to find. If you're on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, just search for East Anglian Theatre Podcast. Or if you'd rather see a face and not a logo, look me up. There's not too many Ray Tempesters out there, so you should find me. I tend to post links to the shows and audition opportunities mentioned on the podcast, as well as a few other shows and groups that I come across online. You're more than welcome to contact me on social media too, if you'd like to get involved in the podcast, of course. I also have a website, eatpod.co.uk. That's eatpod.co.uk. Here you'll find all previous episodes of the podcast, written versions of my reviews, a few blog posts and a page to contact me if you'd like to congratulate me on a wonderful series, which, rather surprisingly, no one has done thus far. You can, of course, also use the site to contact me if you'd like to be featured on the podcast in some way, whether that's simply a shout-out, a full-on advert for your show or company, or if you'd like a guest slot on the podcast. Right, well, that's enough of my self-promotion. Let's move on to section one, where the subject is... um, me again. As I ask myself, what have I been up to theatre-wise recently? Well, on Saturday the 15th of September, I took a meander into some lovely woodland in Norwich to watch Limbic Theatre's original production called Rebel Rabble. It's described as a theatrical audio experience, and it's set against the backdrop of Robert Kett's Rebellion of 1549, which some of you may have heard of, for which the Rebel Army set up a camp at Mousehold Heath in Norwich, and this is where the production took place. Rather than being a simple history lesson or a guided historical tour, this is a production which explores the legacy of the Rebellion through the eyes of some contemporary characters, Bernard, Hazel and Sylvia, as gradually their tales of making a stand themselves unfold. So, what did I think? Well, firstly, what's not to enjoy about a gentle amble around a beautiful historic woodland? But that's not really what you pay your money for, of course. 
The costly part is the silent disco style headphones that allows the audience to be part of the same narrative. And they worked beautifully, adding some atmospheres of the stroll, both whilst the storytelling was happening and in between. Whether it was the sound of marching while you were being guided from one scene to the next, the sound of sheep to help you visualise the former use of the land, or the heartbeat sound increasing in tempo to emphasise our host's feelings, your constant audio companion was the star of the show. The Rebel Rabble itself was a group of six actors, each kitted out in earthy, hessian sack-like clothing, with an accompanying oversized mask. I don't quite know whether it was the intention, but to me the masks seemed to resemble faces in trees with eye holes looking like knots in the wood. Whatever the intended look, the actors scampered across the space in a suitably rebellious, almost mischievous manner, giving in their all physically in the absence of any dialogue. Though there was only six of them, they spread themselves well and almost blended in with their surroundings to keep you guessing as to where they might next appear. It was an effective device by Limbic, and one that I enjoyed. Having said that, I do have a couple of critical observations as regards the contemporary hosts. Now, undoubtedly the major draw of the show is the historical narrative and being at the scene of the rebellion. So, to justify turning your back on quite a bit of historical interest in favour of fabricated tales of people making a stand requires particularly good storytelling, and for me, the contemporary stories were not quite as engaging as I'd have hoped. In addition, for the most part, they weren't visually engaging either, which by comparison to the original Rebels kitted out in their masks and stalking the improvised sets in a slightly menacing fashion, it left me feeling a little bit apathetic about their tales. Now, to be clear, I thought the concept was a good one, as had it simply been a historical tour of Mouse Old Heath, I probably wouldn't have bothered coming out. The idea was innovative, well executed and very slick. It was just on a personal level that I didn't connect with it, and that perhaps speaks more about my simple mind needing visual stimuli more than anything. However, I would encourage you to check it out, as it's nothing like anything on offer, certainly in Norfolk at the moment, and it's inspiring seeing theatre being produced in different and creative ways. It is also worth noting that at the end of the production, in a real show of community spirit, you're invited back to the, inverted commas, rebel base for a hot drink and a biscuit. So, should you wish, there's also the opportunity to have a natter with a cast and production team too. Now, I was lucky enough to see it on its opening afternoon, but it continues for the next couple of weekends on the 24th and 25th of September and the 1st and 2nd of October, with all performances at either 2pm or 5pm and tickets are available via norwichtheatre.org. So that's what I got up to, but what about you? Perhaps you watched a different show recently and would like to share your views, or perhaps you also caught Rebel Rabble and have a differing view. Whatever it is, do get in touch to let me know, as I'd love to hear from you. Anyhow, we move on to section two, the interview, and I'd like to introduce you to someone whose roots are in South Yorkshire rather than East Anglia. But before you go all leaguer gentlemen and tell me this is a local podcast for local people, his company is playing a handful of dates in the region. His name is Jeremy Fletcher, and he's the founder of Sheepish Productions, whose latest production, The Last Motel, is touring a few venues around here. So, without further ado, which is a shame because I do so enjoy an ado, here is an interview with Jeremy Fletcher. Hi, Jeremy. Thanks for joining me ahead of another upcoming busy period for you. Now, here's your start for 10. Can you introduce Sheepish Productions to us all? Uh, yeah. So, yeah, we're Sheepish Productions. We're a theatre company from uh, Doncaster uh, in South Yorkshire. Um, we make touring productions and our latest uh, production is The Last Motel. 
and we're obviously here to talk about the current production, the the last motel. But actually, before we get on to that, could you give us an outline of some of the productions that have gone before? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll just give you an idea of our work. Um, I think the first thing we did was uh, a play called Shadow on the Wall, which was a one-person show. Um, got a best new writing nomination at the Buxton Fringe. Um, sort of a sort of a a Poe type horror, I think you might call it. Um, and then what else have we done? We have done uh, a show that toured called Communicate that came to uh, the Seagull in Lower Stoff. That was uh, semi autobiographical about uh, the effects of PTSD and um, grief, uh, which there was a couple of. Uh, post-show discussions we had um a few places like mind and the samaritans and different bereavement charities that came along for a post-show discussion on that one yeah and then we've had uh, another thing we did life and crimes of reverend raccoon which was about um people who misuse religion and it was about a kind of con man faith healer uh, yeah and then on to i mean we've had a various other um shorts and things out and about but um yeah kind of brings us on to our our current production yeah you hinted at it there. Sheepish Productions is a touring theatre company. Has it always been? Has that always been the way? Uh, yeah. Well, we we started um, we started off at the Buxton Fringe. Uh, we took a few shows to the Edinburgh Fringe, and then um, when we 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 met a producer from Cast, which is our local theatre, um, who sort of set us on a track of becoming a bit more. Uh, professional if that's not a bit, bit of an odd thing to say in about 2014 and then that's when we were that's when we started our kind of touring journey I think we first started in maybe 2016 with a, a little regional tour and then um, communicating 2018 was a bit of a bigger deal with sort of nine or ten venues that we went to and I'd speak to a fair few touring companies but what have you learned from your experiences of touring to, to try to remain calm, <laughs> mainly. I think it's great to get back to um, places that you've been to before and, and just try to build uh, a bit of an audience. And it can be tough, really, but I, I think you've got, a bit, you've got to persevere, and particularly at the moment. I mean, it's sort of a new era for all touring companies, you know, with the cost of living crisis as it is, things like uh, TV subscriptions and... Um, going to the cinema and, and probably particularly theatre are one of the first things to be hit. So I think you've got to consider where you go into and and just do even more on the publicity and marketing side, really. Mm. Yeah, I was going to ask about the, uh, the current energy and, and cost of living crisis, which will obviously inevitably have a knock-on effect for the arts, certainly in the short term until some sort of definite policies are, and strategies are revealed, I guess. People understandably have to sort of prioritise their money, unfortunately, towards paying their bills. But how much of a concern is it for you as a company? I mean, is, is it just a case of working harder for ticket sales? Yeah, I mean, it comes through in every aspect for us. You know, theatre digs, um, most of them put the prices up because of that uh, related issue. Um, and, and I think it's also come at a time um, on the back of COVID when people have seen lots of shows that have been cancelled or postponed. Um, so they don't book till last minute, which is completely understandable, but um, pretty daunting for the <laughs> pretty daunting for us as a theatre company because you never quite you know that you you quite often get a sudden flurry of tickets being booked at the last minute. So those um, competing issues, you know, of getting round fuel costing more, accommodation costing more, and ticket sales being far more uncertain, just just make it sometimes trickier to get get to every 
uh, get to every venue. So yeah, it, ultimately it comes down to trying to flog more tickets yeah. <laughs> and make sure you're covering everything. Yeah. And let's talk about the last motel here. So what can you tell us about the production itself? Well, it, it's a uh, it's a hostage situation, and that's what it starts as. Um, and it looks like it's sort of a, a standard um, kind of motel hostage situation you might expect in America. But in fact, it's actually set in Barnsley in South Yorkshire. So um, if I can read you a, a little bit of the blurb just for a couple of seconds. Um, hmm. Abalone's desperate. He's taken a day of holiday from the poultry farm to commit armed robbery. Now he has Eve, a local vicar, stuffed into the boot of his classic car. Checking with us at the last motel a few miles outside of Barnsley, South Yorkshire, not Kentucky, to see if Abalone's hostage changes his perspective on life. Um, so it's about 70 minutes long, and it's just about the balance of power between these two characters in this motel room. And it's done sort of at the motel room kind of presented in an, an, uh, a really interesting abstract way surrounded by the, the, the plain areas um, denoted by 12 table lamps that do different things and, and control the area yeah which it's, a, it's not that wasn't my idea that was a, a great designer and lighting designer that we've got on board but it really yeah it kind of really brings the piece to life and gives it a real intensity as well Mm. And uh, you just said about the table lamps there. Obviously, that's presumably what the um, the posters relate to. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's that sort of a sleazy motel vibe we were going for. Mm. Yeah. But, and, and a bit eerie. And a bit eerie. Yeah. Yeah. And was there anything in particular? I mean, it, the, the show was written quite some time ago and has obviously been adapted over time and, and sort of altered and edited and fine tuned, shall we say. Where did you get your inspiration from in the first place? Do you know, the actual concept for this I've had in my mind probably since I um, did A-levels. <laughs> um, it's just, just this idea of um, a, a religious person thinking that he is working for a greater power and it's kind of not in the same guise as everybody else. So originally um, it, it was about... Uh, a man that was on death row and he was kind of making these confessions about these things he'd done, which over time has, has progressed into to what it is now. So it's, um, although it's, it is a psychological thriller and um, these, there's these different comparisons that we've had, which are lovely to have had picked up like uh, uh, somewhere between Fargo and inside number nine. Um, there is a sort of a, an environmental message in there. There's a message about overpopulation and, the, the climate crisis and you know just having a, a kind of broader think about the world itself really it mention of inside number nine so is it, it quite sort of darkly comic then in, in some respects i do hope so <laughs> <laughs> yes it is yeah yeah um but it, it, it is um well well one of the reviews past review said it was streaked with um black humor so yeah I, I, i'm not it it is supposed to be funny it is also supposed to be chilling um Jeremy Drake, who plays the character Abalone in it, we had a week of R&D in May. And he said, I can't wait for the tour, but I do find it really disturbing. So I think that... <laughs> Make it out what you will. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. If, if that intrigues you, yeah, please come along. Yeah, and um, you mentioned it, it touches upon issues to do with the climate crisis. But I understand the climate crisis is an issue that's been even closer to your heart since your own home flooded in 2019. Now, if it's 
not too morbid a line of questioning um, can you what can you tell us about your experience and ultimately the influence that it's had over your work um yeah of course yeah yeah um yeah our home flooded in 2019 and also uh, the place where we're based so fish lake hadn't flooded for 100 years despite the despite the name and we didn't think it was going to flood on on that night um so yeah i mean we were already focused um i mean we deal with things to do with mental health and then also the climate crisis as well there's a strong element of those issues in the work that we produce so yeah after that i think that that has gone and gone into the last motel and has influenced that script and then our next piece of work um is hopefully going to be at least partially verbatim um capturing the accounts from that night and telling a story of fish lake which i think is quite an interesting place in itself it's it's had a history of flooding there were riverbanks that were built up um to stop it flooding a river was directed away from it and you know nature's managed to conquer all those things the place is flooded again so it'll be what we envisage it'll be a play about the history of fish lake the, the present day of fish lake and the, and the future and so it'll, that'll focus on the climate crisis but yeah i mean i've recently had a play on um bbc radio sheffield that was on upload again about a giant tsunami hitting doncaster Terminate play called shallow um so yeah as you can see there's there's quite a decent <laughs> a decent influence there but i think that's what you know well for us i think that's what theater should do it should hit on relevant issues and keep them in in the public mind and you know raise awareness and and provoke debate i think that's what theater does at its best really yeah i know for the, the fish lake flooding there was there was, there was a book released uh, with sort of excerpts of, of sort of other people's experience w- w- was that something you were involved in at all uh, as odd as it sounds I, f- I found it quite difficult at the time to write an account so my uh, my partner wrote an account so yeah uh, there's even a picture of my dog in there actually so what i have done since i, I turned uh, her short story that was in that book um, into a verbatim piece of theatre that was performed at Cast a couple of months ago as part of a, a new writing night. And that's kind of the beginning of this play for, for well, hopefully for next year. So, yeah. And just moving on to your own experiences in, in well, in theatre and, and the creative arts, I mean, what, what was your upbringing like, creatively speaking? Well, in past years, Doncaster was not, well, it's still not the most arts engaged place, but um, you basically had to drive out out of Doncaster to go to a theatre because there was just a very old Civic that had um, really, really limited shows in there. So I've, I've got a, a family background of sort of being... Um, a, a, my gran used to run a dance school and I've, um, I've, I've got an aunt that an uncle that work in TV and do different things. So I kind of got an interest from that side. But I've been going to the Edinburgh Fringe for more years than I can can count um every year I used to say you know I, I could definitely put one of these shows on I could I could do this I could write it so 2012 I started with a friend and um, put on uh, a solo show at the Buxton Fringe uh, which got a, a, a best new writing nomination and then we kind of went on from there really so 2014 a director came along called Paul, Paul Cooper who uh, was at cast at the time and put us forward for some funding for the first time and it's kind of just gone on from there really and that's how we've developed into a touring company from taking things to the Buxom Fringe, Edinburgh Fringe, we've done a 
kind of a mini rural tour around here some slightly larger tours with communicate and now now the last motel and you're playing a, a large handful of dates we call it in, in east anglia between the 20th and the 30th of september are there any venues on that mini tour that are, are new to you that you're particularly excited to play uh, yes yeah yeah um well we've been to the seagull before uh, and then the rest of those venues are are new so yeah i'm looking forward to uh, good things about um I better say all of them now, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the garage, uh, you know, we've already got um, a decent number of tickets in there as well. Um, Theatre Royal, we said Edmunds looks looks absolutely lovely. Uh, the director knows it, um, and we, yeah, we sold a a, a, a theatre full of tickets nearly there. So um, yeah, I think we've already managed to sell about 150 tickets for that one. Uh, um, Wells Maltings looks lovely, a, a nice location. A bit tricky for the stage managers to get to, uh, and and the director's been to um, the call Cornhall at this, and yeah, everybody seems lovely that we're dealing with there. So yeah, we're excited to go to to all of them. Really, it's um, yeah. you know forging new touring networks and links is is, is great. And so after that, what, what what's next for for Sheepish Productions? Well. So hopefully, um, we're just in the process of um, I had a meeting with uh, the local council uh, yesterday. So um, later this year, it'll be starting to work on the Fish Lake floods work. Um, and then, fingers crossed, we've got some rural touring lined up, I think, possibly for the last motel um, in the autumn of next year. So we'll have those two things to contend with um, in the next 12 months. When you say rural touring, is is that um, sort of more local to you around sort of Doncaster Way? Yes, hopefully it will be. And, and um, we've got, uh, I think in, in Cornwall as well, I think we, we might just, just to keep with that um, thing of touring, um, we're, we're thinking we might be able to adapt the show slightly to make it so, you know, we can go to smaller venues and more venues. And in terms of your own writing, do you have any particular influences or any sort of, well, heroes, I guess? I realise I put you on the spot here, so don't, don't, <laughs> don't, don't worry if it takes some time. I can edit out the long pause, so don't worry. Play-wise, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to draw a complete blank, or am I? Um, I uh, well, there's a, there is a local writer, um, I mean, who, who's, got, who's got decent national acclaim as well, I think, called Richard Cameron. I don't know if you've ever... Um, heard of him? He, he he wrote a play called I think his most famous one is called um, "Can't Stand Up for Falling Down." I think it's called, um, and uh, he's written another play called "The, the Flannelettes." Uh, and he had something recently on Sky as well that the name is going to completely um, escape me. But he, he's um, a, a South Yorkshire Doncaster writer who he was originally a head teacher, I think, but then he, he gave up because he was able to write full time. But it, it, I just love the way he writes in a in a very colloquial um, way about everyday kind of industrial background of of Yorkshire. So I think he, he's a great influence, not least because I when I, I kind of went out when Cass first opened and I started writing, he um, he led a lot of the sessions. So I think he influenced me in the way that I do write. But then I've also got um, I, I do undoubtedly like the works of you know Tarantino and Lynch and all those sort of things. Are in my, I don't purposely try to write that way. Um, but I think because you write kind of what you'd like to see yourself, I think, a lot of mm-hmm. the time. 
and a, f- a few times, especially with this bit of work, people have said about Cohen Brothers, which I'm really embarrassed to say that at the time I wrote the play, I'd never seen a Cohen Brothers film, but I have seen. So you know, I, I'm I'm a big fan of them as well now. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I guess bearing in mind you, you said about the last motel ha- having been sort of effectively conceived back back when you were in sixth form. I guess your influences have changed since in those days because that's that's been a few years. Uh, yes, yeah, plenty of years. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Well, I, I, yeah. I mean, I think you do you do uh, change over time. Your influences are what you enjoy. I used to be a massive sort of fan of horror films um, and that that genre but uh, i think when you get kids sometimes um i've got i've got two uh youngish boys now and um some of the things you enjoy seeing at you know certain times in your life it's not the same <laughs> after uh yeah you can you can be uh, become oversensitized or something i think yeah and i guess they know that kids do broaden your horizons good or bad yeah okay um well yeah that, that's all we've got time for really um Back to rehearsals, yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I really do appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Um, so, um, yeah, good, good luck with the tour. Thank you for having me on. That's great. Thank you. So there we have it. That was Jeremy Fletcher from Sheepish Productions. Now, since my interview with Jeremy, he's been back in touch with me to let me know that he's had to cancel or postpone a couple of the dates due to poor ticket sales. So the shows at the Garage in Norwich, the Corn Hall in Dis and the Seagull Theatre in Lowestoft are no longer going ahead, which is a real shame, but you can still catch them at the Theatre Royal Barry St Edmunds and the place in Bedford. What it does also go to show is how difficult it is for touring theatre companies in particular at the moment and why every bit of publicity, even in a small way, such as through this podcast, is helpful to companies like Sheepish Productions who seldom attract any traditional media attention. I know you all hear like, share and subscribe a lot, but it's the shares that really do count. Now, I do this as a hobby. I make absolutely nothing from it, quite the opposite in fact, so I'm not really inclined to spend more money promoting the podcast, which is why I ask you guys to share my stuff. Now, while the odd like or interaction on social media is nice, I can be quite blasé about it, as when it comes down to it, I'm not really bothered if no one hears what I've got to say, but for those who rely on theatre as their livelihood, getting their voices heard really does matter. What I'm saying is, it would be great if we could get the message spread far and wide about the theatre happening in East Anglia so that smaller companies, such as Sheepish Productions, don't have to be in a position where they're making losses on shows or having to cancel shows because they can't afford to travel. Whether you spread the word via my podcast or not, it doesn't matter. If you're a supporter of local theatre, then please do what you can to show it. I'm not even asking you to put your money where your mouth is, as it costs you nothing to share a post online. Even if you're not able to see a particular production... Again, it costs you nothing to share the details. And even if you'd no interest in the show a company might be advertising, someone else you know might well be interested. One person's trash is another one's treasure, as my wife often says when justifying another charity or antique shop purchase. Right, okay, that's enough for the preaching anyway, and on to the home straight, as I ask what else is coming up in the region in the next few weeks. Well, another small company that you might want to show your support for is Raising Cane Productions, whose founder, Christopher Saint and Clark, I interviewed on the podcast a few weeks ago. Their production of two darkly comedic one-act plays called Last Shot and Confess begins in East Anglia on the 20th of October at the Halls in Norwich. It then goes to Boardswell Village Hall on the 22nd of October, North Wyndham Community Centre on the 25th, Alsham Town Hall on the 26th, 
the Headgate Theatre in Colchester on the 27th and finally Sheringham Little Theatre on the 31st of October. On the Norfolk coast, there's a casting call for scare actors at Great Yarmouth Pleasure Beach's event, Fairground Frights, which takes place between the 26th and the 30th of October. The auditions are Monday the 26th of September, and you can book an audition slot by emailing fairgroundfrights at gmail.com. Over in Peterborough, Lamphouse Theatre is presenting its Switch Festival on the 2nd of October. It's a concept which showcases 20-minute excerpts from four exciting new shows created by local writers. It's on at the Key Theatre in Peterborough for one day only, so do show your support for some new writers if you can. Tickets are offered at only £2 for young people aged 16 to 25, and I can't remember how much tickets are for more um, mature members of the public, but I believe they're fairly cheap too. And finally, the production that I'm part of, The Welkin, opens in a couple of weeks at the Sewell Barn Theatre in Norwich. It's on from the 13th to the 22nd of October, and it really is a special production and an extraordinary script written by Lucy Kirkwood. If you do intend to come and see the show, I'd urge you not to read the script in advance so as not to ruin it for yourself. And that, my friends, is all I have to say today. As usual, I'll post links for the shows mentioned on my social media pages. Do feel free to let me know about any shows you'd like me to give a shout out to as well. And thanks for listening to me and Jeremy ramble on this time. And tune in next time to hear from Funnelwick Lim ahead of their tour of The Chronicles of Atom and Luna. Until then, take care of yourselves and go watch some theatre. Bye. <laughs>